Folks, welcome to the Peter Gabbett Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Timothy Hankston. Today is May 19th, 2020, which means I'm on day 157 in a row of 365 promised episodes. It brings you unedited, unscripted, improv, news, movies, music, sports, entertainment, food, and all things except politics. First up today, folks, I have a couple of movie reviews for you. Yes, first one is Castle in the Ground. Now, I checked on this movie out of curiosity to see what type of other reviews it received from people unlike me. Now, I personally did not think this movie had a point to it and really saw nothing great about it. I'm going to be honest with you, it's slow, it's boring, it seems like a new age version of the movie Spun. If you've ever seen the early Brittany Murphy meth movie Spun, it's also got John Leguizano in it, that movie was great. It showed you the sick and sadistic world of meth and selling meth. Now this movie, it showed you Castle on the Ground. It showed you the sick and sadistic world of modern-day pill-popping and, you know, being a junkie and selling pills and robbing somebody who sells pills. And I just gotta say, it was too dark. You know, the whole movie itself was seriously dark. Only watch it at night if you plan on watching it at all. Otherwise, even the slightest glare through a window from the sun will not allow you to see almost every other scene. Not to mention, it just doesn't have very many recognizable people in it. There's one girl who I've seen in other films, and her name is Emojin Gay Poots. Yeah, that's a real actress's name. Her name is Emojin Gay Poots. So, if anything, you might as well just look up her, because who's not curious to know what person is named Emojin Gay Poots. I mean, I, I, I can't believe that's a real name. Well, do your parents just hate you so, so much? Were they obsessed with emojis, sexuality, and poop and boots combined? Emojin Gay Poots? I don't know. But the movie itself, Castle on the Ground, seriously boring, about people popping pills, a kid loses his mom, she was sort of a junkie, He ends up doing her leftover batch of pills, kind of gets addicted to them, addicted to the life that it brings. His neighbor across the, you know, across the hall from him in their shitty little apartments, she's a big time druggie. They end up hanging out and push comes to shove. And what do you know, by the end of the movie, it just shows him basically as a complete junkie. And that's it. No lesson to be learned, you know, no great epiphany. Just a sad, messed up ending, teaching us all and reminding us all that popping pills is disgusting and stupid. I give Castle in the Ground a total of 3.5 out of 10. And they only get the 0.5 extra out of me. It would have been 3 out of 10. But I give them 3.5 for the film Castle in the Ground because they have a girl named Emojin Gay Poots in it. And that made me laugh. (laughs) 
My next new movie review, folks, is the movie Scoob. Yes, you can tell it's about Scooby-Doo, but it's just called Scoob! Exclamation point. And you know what? I wasn't dissatisfied at all with this movie. It's got some 90s music nostalgia for the older folks like me. It's got a an all-star cast, I must say. Mark Wahlberg... Zach Efron, I mean, Amanda Seyfried, it's got a lot of people in it that are recognizable, and that just makes for a good movie, animated or not. Simon Cowell's in this movie? I mean, everybody. So I gotta say, right off the bat, I was impressed with the cast they got for the film. Then, I gotta admit, the storyline was pretty cool because it incorporated one of my favorite characters, Dastardly and Muttley from the old 60s, early 70s show, Wacky Races. Yes, Dastardly was one of the best characters from Hanna-Barbera, and considering the fact that it's all in the same family, he was the villain in this Scooby-Doo movie called Scoob. Now, I gotta say, the actual storyline itself was difficult to follow. Something about these giant dog skulls that have power, and Scooby-Doo himself is the key, because he's an ancestor of these ancient dog beings from Egypt, I don't know. The story was impossible to follow, but hey, it's a kid's movie, it doesn't need to make sense. My kids were entertained, and they never are. If it's not a movie they haven't already seen, which this is crazy, you know, this, this is a recipe for disaster. They won't watch a movie unless they've already seen it and know that they like it, but how can they already see it and know that they like it if they haven't watched it? But this was one of those movies where they actually sat there and watched the whole thing beginning to end. They loved it. I thought it was pretty cool. Had some good parts to it. Kind of hard to follow. But as far as a complete family-style animated film, Scoob, for me, gets a 6 out of 10 Great cast, pretty good movie, difficult plot to follow. Other than that, I'd say watch it. It's it's a family fun film. If you got kids, sit them down, watch Scoob. They will enjoy this thing. Six out of ten. I gotta bring up 90 Day Fiance one more time, folks. Because let's face facts, it's awesome. Who doesn't like watching these idiots think they're in love with somebody who they met online and never met in real life, physically. It's hilarious. And one girl, woman I should say, by the name of Yolanda, from this season's 90 Day Fiancé before the 90 Days, she believed 100% that she wasn't being catfished by a guy named Williams. Williams ain't catfishing me. I know Williams and me. We in love. I love Williams. We always talk. No. You don't talk to Williams, because even your own daughters proved that there were stock photos from the internet that people used of this supposed Williams likeness, which goes to show that it's actually a catfish on the other end. Then, after they proved it to her, she was unable to get a hold of so-called Williams any further, and when Williams was supposed to send her money for a plane ticket to go visit him in England, which also doesn't make sense, 
all of a sudden, Williams didn't have the money for it, even though he owns his own restaurant, supposedly. Now, this lady is just nuts, because she's like a 45, maybe 50-year-old woman with a side hair weave thing that's like plastered to her actual skull, and clearly she's like balding or something's wrong with her head. I don't know what it is. But apparently she was obese and then began working out vigorously in a in an attempt to impress Williams, which didn't matter because you're never going to meet the guy in real life. He's fake, so you're only going to speak to him online. And apparently she sent him nude photos of herself, not even knowing that this was a real person. So now... The person sent her emails saying that they would spread these photos of her online unless she pays them a sum of money. Now, this is a classic case of stupid choice online getting you into trouble and then you lose money over it. Now, I got to admit, I actually wanted there to be a real Williams so that they could meet her and tell her that they were way out of her league and that she's way older than them, and she has like seven kids, and they want nothing to do with her, just so that she would at least understand that there's a world of standards out there. Now, I personally, I could never get a Williams, because I don't look great like that. I'm not tall, dark, or handsome, plus I'm a man, and I'm pretty sure Williams is not gay. But it doesn't matter, because the level at which that person is, is at a level that I could not get. I was lucky enough because I got my beautiful wife who is way above my standard or my the standard of me. So, you know, I got lucky. When I hit the jackpot, I locked it down, you know, because I I got my Williams. She did not. So check it out for fun. If you if you have nothing left, you gotta see 90 Day Fiance before the 90 Days, Yolanda and Williams. I know my sisters will love this segment because they're obsessed with it just like me. Williams. Well, it looks like San Diego County, which is a model for how counties should be during this COVID pandemic, is in fact having such a slow rate of new cases of the COVID-19 that they have convinced the governor of California and the city mayor, Kevin Faulkner, to address a proposed speedy reopening of the city, which would mean not only would restaurants and retail businesses reopen, but so would barber shops, hair salons, and all other small businesses that can prove that they are ready with the new standards in place. Now, I am personally very excited for this. I can't wait because that means slowly but surely farmers markets will also open up and I will once again have a job. Now, what I must say about this reopening thing is there's other places that have already began to reopen major businesses and structures with tons of people in them, including MGM deciding to start reopening some of their casinos, not in Las Vegas, but in Mississippi, including a casino called Gold Strike. Now, I understand that in Mississippi, most of the casinos are in the water. They are actually on a boat. 
Or if they are on land, I'm sure they're not that great. But what always strikes me as odd, speaking of gold strike, what gold strikes me as odd is that some people who live in Mississippi call it Mississippi. Yale Mississippi. Mississippi? Mississippi is what you, is what you call it? Mississippi turns into Mississippi? I, I, I just don't understand. That's sort of like what I was discussing with my sisters recently. The term that I, I definitely never use. I can't pull it off. The term finna. I'm finna do something. I'm finna go to the stove right now. And buy some stuff. Finna. I'm pretty sure that stands for I am feeling to. I am feeling to go to the store. I'm finna. Now, I really don't know why you would be feeling to do something like that anyways. But what if you were finna go to Mississippi? I'm finna go Mississippi. I don't even know what's happening anymore. You know, there's too much slang out there. So how about I'm feeling to go to Mississippi and hit up Gold Strike Casino because MGM is reopening it and that is rad. The final portion of the Last Dance documentary of Michael Jordan came out and it did not disappoint, including some information about the 1997 NBA Finals Game 5 against the Utah Jazz in which... We all remember Michael Jordan got sick during the game, supposedly with the flu or perhaps even food poisoning from a pepperoni pizza he had eaten the day before. Now, a report has just come out of the man himself who served that pepperoni pizza to Michael Jordan claims that he, in fact, was a Bulls fan and really loved Michael Jordan and had no chance whatsoever of giving him a contaminated pizza that could have possibly gotten him sick, he came forward with his side of the story. He remembers that day getting a call because in Park City, Utah, where his pizza hut was, he knew at that Marriott in Park City, the Chicago Bulls were staying while playing against the Utah Jazz at home during the series. Now, this guy recalls getting an order for a pepperoni pizza, thin crust, extra pepperonis, that was specifically for Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And so he made, he took it upon himself to make the pizza and go by every strict guideline and regulation he possibly could to make sure it was perfect and there was no chance that there could be anything raw or anything that could get him sick. And he even hand-delivered the pizza. He remembers every step he took, every part of the hotel he went into, the cigar smoke from Michael Jordan, because we all remember he smoked cigars like a champ. And he even got a glimpse of MJ when the door to his hotel room got opened by one of his trainers who paid the guy for delivering the pizza, gave him a tip, and then he asked if he could see Michael. The trainer opened the door a little bit, Michael said, thanks, man, and the guy left. He cherishes that memory, but not after watching the documentary and hearing one of Michael Jordan's ex-trainers say that he believes it was that exact pizza that got him sick for Game 5 
of the 1997 NBA Finals against the Utah Jazz. And this guy now feels terrible thinking that he possibly could have been the reason his favorite player of all time in any sport got sick before an extremely important game. Now, I got to say, I'm on the side of the delivery guy. I believe there's really no way to get somebody sick off a pepperoni pizza. I mean, maybe if the dough was really old and raw and had sat around all day, I guess. Or maybe if the pepperonis were on the edge of being rotten. But even still, at the degree in which pizzas are cooked in a pizza oven, every germ that could cause food poisoning would die so fast, you would then have to let the pizza sit in the danger zone of temperature for like hours before there's a chance that some type of microorganisms could grow on this thing and bacteria and get you sick eventually. So it could not have possibly been this pizza. In fact, what else did Michael Jordan eat that day? He could have been fed something else, like a tuna melt from a 7-Eleven or something that had sat on the shelves forever, something nasty. You know, we don't know. We know that he had pizza. We also know that he smoked cigars, like, disgustingly. So cigars can get you sick. Let's admit that right away. We know cigars can make anybody sick. And he was in Park City, Utah, where it's freakishly cold all the time. So perhaps he sat next to an open window while smoking his cigars and caught a couple, you know, a little bit of breeze or caught a draft and it gave him, you know, made him down with the sickness. So regardless of how the story goes on the end of Michael Jordan and his trainers, I believe the pizza guy, I believe it wasn't the pizza that got him sick in the 1997 Game 5 finals against the Utah Jazz. And you know what? It's time to let that go anyway. The documentary itself, fantastic. Watch all 10 episodes. You'll seriously like... I'm not even a fan of Michael Jordan. I don't like the guy. He shattered multiple dreams of mine as a young child. I wanted to see the Blazers win in the 1991-92 finals. They lost to Michael Jordan. I wanted to see the Phoenix Suns and Charles Barkley win in the 92-93 finals. They lost to Michael Jordan. And I'm not going to say they lost to the Bulls, because they didn't. They lost to Michael Jordan. That's it. Watch the documentary, though. If you did watch sports at any time in the 90s, you will love this. It is awesome. The Last Dance on ESPN. Ten episodes. Michael Jordan documentary. Folks, it's time for the portion of the Peter Gabbett podcast. That is so intense, I gotta give you a fair warning. I'm kidding, it's great. It's called Real Stories, brought to you by Peter Timothy Hanks, who happens to be me, myself, and Irene, and Barbecusion. That's B-B-Q-U-S-I-O-N. Today, folks, I'm gonna tell you the story of when I found our childhood house cat at a bus stop. Now, typically speaking, in Oregon, in the winter, well, at least where I lived in Portland, in the Portland metro area, there wouldn't always be a snowy season. Every other year would snow, and for the most part, the snow wouldn't stick. It would just turn to rain midday, and it would be a slushy mess of brown crap on the street. But once, I'd say every three, maybe even four years, there would be a strong batch of snow that stuck to the ground and gave kids like me back then an opportunity to truly enjoy 
the winter wonderland that can occur when snow blankets the streets. And I remember a specific occasion when I was, I must have been in like third or fourth grade, and I was sitting at school all day watching it snow, staring out the window. I don't even know why they had windows in my elementary school in Oregon, because all we generally did was see that it was raining again, and it was depressing, and we'd rather be inside anyways, so we might as well be in school. But on this day, it was snowing and hard, and I could not wait to get out of school. It was one of those circumstances where uh, the snow freaks people out up there. They're not used to it, you know? So when it does stick, school gets canceled for sure, because the buses, they don't have the means to cover all the tires with chains, they just won't take that chance, and they know it won't last long. It'll be maybe, at most, a three- to four-day endeavor, and they decide every time to cancel school. So I knew what was coming. I was going to get off the bus, into the snow, and not have to go back to school for a few days and enjoy myself some snowman building and snow snowball fights, all that stuff. So, in anticipation for this, I got on the bus, and I'm staring out the window. It's, you know, lightly drizzling some snow. It's not really hardcore at this time, but I know that the next day it'll probably snow even more, and I will just have myself the winter wonderland that I deserve. And as I got off the bus to get to my house, I had, you know, a bit of a street to walk up. It didn't stop, like, right in front of my house. It stopped in front of my cul-de-sac, and my house was you know, pretty deep into that cul-de-sac, so I had a hill to go up, and I get off the bus, and I take a step forward, and I immediately notice a tiny, brand newborn baby kitten in the snow. Like, I can't believe it. It's ice cold outside. I'm talking, you know, it is straight up the dead of winter, and who allowed this baby kitten to just be lounging by itself in the snow, practically dying, I'm sure, because it's so cold. Now, this thing didn't look like a a street kitten, either. It actually was fairly clean-cut, as if it had just escaped a house or something. So I scooped it up, of course. I'm not going to leave it there. I mean, I'll find its owner, whatever. Uh, I can't just sit there, you know. I, I didn't even like cats that much. But the fact that it was winter, it was snowy, and there was a baby kitten... I had to pick it up. So I brought the cat to our house, which I should have known was a mistake, because as soon as we fed it a little bit of milk and tried to keep it outside, because we really didn't have cats. I mean, we already had one. It was this old gray cat that peed all over our couches. It was terrible. Nobody liked it. So we had one cat previously. Nobody liked it. And we weren't in the market to get another cat at our house. But this thing was so precious and cute, and we didn't even know what to name it, so we named it Fat, or Bubba. You know, Bubba, I guess, was the was the number one name for this cat, but I called it Fat because you should have seen how fat this thing eventually got. This thing was the world's fattest cat. I don't know how, but my family, 100%, I'm sure, remembers this cat as it used to sleep on our clothing in our batches of clean laundry, because our parents had so many kids, there were six of us, that they set up baskets for each one of us in a grid formation in the garage, 
And they would just fill the baskets up with our clothes, and it would be up to us to take them up to our rooms, fold them, and put them away. So, baskets of clothes, favorite spot for this fat cat. It turned out the owner, or the ex-owners of the cat, had a cat that had kittens, and then they moved. So they just left all the kittens. Because other people in the neighborhood also got a hold of a kitten or two from this same litter. And I guess by some stroke of, if you want to call it luck, I found one on my way home from school that day. Now it turned out that this cat became the most favorite pet of my sisters of all time. They loved this cat. They treated it like it was the king of the cats. And, you know, they we gave them treats all the time. We'd fill the cat's bowl every time it was empty. And this thing would try to climb up this ladder, which it successfully did on multiple occasions. This ladder up to my brother's room that was a 90-degree angled ladder plush up against a wall. And yet somehow this fat cat, like really fat, would scuttle its little feet like so crazy and fast that it would somehow like make its way all the way up there and then it would get stuck because it didn't know how to get down. And we would have to climb up, grab it, and climb down a 90 degree ladder with a cat in our arms that weighed like 45 pounds. I'll never forget this cat and how I found it. And the lesson we learned on this Peter Gabbett Real Stories segment of my podcast is that if you do see a precious little kitten or puppy or something, ice cold in the snow, you have a moral obligation to find it a home or make your home its new home. Because that thing would have died in a whole day of being outside, I guarantee. And it was hungry. It sucked down the milk we gave it so fast and from that point on became obese. I'll never forget the cat I called Fat, also known as Bubba, Rest in peace to you, sir, and thank you very much for listening to the Peter Gabbett Podcast today, folks. I love each and every one of my listeners so very much. Have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Now, back when I was that young kid who found that baby kitten, I could have never known that I was going to go far. Like the Offspring song says, you're going to go far, kid making a podcast, owning my own business. For that reason, I'm going to play you the song by one of my favorite bands, Offspring, You're Gonna Go Far Kid. Show me how to lie, you're getting better all the time And turning all against one isn't art that's hard to teach Another clever word sets off an unsuspecting hurt And as you step back 